The greatest illusion of this world is the illusion of separation. Things you think are separate and different are actually one and the same. Guru Patik. Welcome to the Citizens of the Globe podcast, where we not only embrace, but encourage change in our environment, in our bodies, in our minds, and in our souls. My name is Michael Maltez, and I aim to break down the borders we create in our minds one meaningful conversation at a time. So last week, we went over all about how neural networks are created, what a neuron is, um, talking about those axons, the cell body, and the dendrites. That's all fine and dandy, and it was all to give us a basic understanding of neuroscience, or I guess just honestly neurons. This week, however, I want to dive into a bit of the history of neuroscience because it's important to know how we got to knowing about perception. And finally, at the end of this episode, I'll tell you all about those mysterious mirror neurons I've been alluding to the past two episodes. So we'll start with the Hubble and Weasel cat experiments. What these two researchers did was place electrodes on the brains of cats, hoping to detect an electrical impulse that would indicate brain activity. So what they did was they hooked up the electrodes to the brains of the cats, placed the cats in front of these screens, and on the screens they projected lines at different orientations, hoping that the cat would see the line orientation and that specific neuron or where they placed the electrode in the brain would have an electrical impulse indicating on the electrode and letting them know like, oh, hey, when the cat sees the line in this orientation, the light goes off and we know that the brain, that part of that brain is sensitive to this orientation of the line. Well, what ended up happening in the actual research was that nothing was going off. There was no impulse, nothing to detect. And that was getting worrisome, or I mean, I guess not worrisome, but it just wasn't what they were looking for. However, at one point in the experiment, the image froze on a line that was at a slant. Um, It wasn't completely vertical, but not completely horizontal, so a little bit of a slant, and it was, um, other than that, it was like in the top left corner a bit, and it froze right there, and when it froze right there, they got the light, the electrode um, indicated that there was brain activity, and That's crazy because how much of a coincidence does it have to be that the one orientation that the slide got stuck on ended up being the orientation for that specific neuron? See, from here, what they found was that only specific neurons or areas of the brain are activated when they meet a specific criteria. And for that electrode, it was the line being at on the left side of the screen and at a little bit of a tilt. My professor called this a synchronicity in science. And I think that's a great way to describe it because it it just really is. It's really weird that it happened that way. Okay. So once Hubble and Weasel started mapping that different areas of the brain lit off to different orientations or were sensitive to different orientations of the line presented, They wanted to know more, right? Because they were mapping all these different sensitive areas. They're like, okay, well, how do they become sensitive? 
enter the vertical line versus horizontal line experiment. This one's really interesting, but a little bit unethical, and I guarantee it wouldn't ever fly today. But basically, they took kittens and put them into environments or rooms. One kitten was raised in a entirely vertical line room. So just think of black and white lines going straight up and down the walls, nothing else. They were taken care of, obviously. Um, the other kitten was raised in a horizontal line environment. So just black and white lines going left to right across the walls and nothing else. What they learned from this was when they took those cats out of those environments and put them in front of those screens again, the cats who were raised in the vertical line environment only had sensitivity to vertical lines. The brain would only give off a signal to the electrode when there was a vertical line presented. And the opposite was true with horizontal line raised kittens. They only had sensitivity in the brain when presented with horizontal lines. What this does for me, and I don't know if it does the same thing for you, is really reinforce the notion that the environment changes how you perceive the world. And that's a good thing. It, it helps us understand each other better, right? If experience drives perception, then what you take in, the information you absorb, the media you watch, the things you listen to, the books you read, the friends you keep, will, not can, will change the way you see the world. Not just how you think about things, but how you physically see and experience the world. This is why a large expanse of country like the United States has so many differing views on so many issues. See, for me, it's no-brainer that women should have the right to an abortion. But instead of finding people who agree with me, I try to find people who disagree with me so we can come to see how and why the other thinks the way they do. It does not mean I will relentlessly argue and exhaust myself arguing until the other person concedes and sees things my way. It simply means that I'm admitting that ultimately the correct decision is one that comes from collaboration. This is why companies like Jubilee that produce shows such as Middle Ground are so popular. We don't want to fight. We want to see eye to eye on issues. We want the other side to, to understand us. And see, now there's an important distinction I made. The word I used a few moments ago was collaboration, not compromise. Two years ago in my interpersonal communications class, I learned all about how Compromise is actually a pretty lousy solution, but everyone preaches like you have to compromise, right? But what compromise actually does is it just leaves all the parties involved feeling unheard, underrepresented, and like they had to concede a part of themselves for the greater good. See, knowing what I know now, in most of my situations, I try to aim for collaboration. Because when you collaborate with others, you are recognizing that each individual involved is a part of the greater good. And if a fulfilling resolution is to be reached, then all parties need to feel like they aren't contributing to the greater good. All parties need to feel like they are the greater good. 
that they are valued and their needs are understood. Okay, but I'm done with the kumbaya part of this episode. Let's get back to the science. With our newfound understanding of perception and how the environment affects that, I'd like to introduce mirror neurons. The exact story on how we discovered mirror neurons is a little bit mythologized. But anyways, the story goes that researchers were mapping the brains of monkeys and they found that neurons fire when monkeys perform an action. Later in the research, uh, one of the monkeys observed a researcher eating a banana and a subset of those same neurons that fired when the monkey was performing the action, like eating a banana, also fired when the monkey observed the researcher eating a banana. So they did the research thing and began testing the boundaries of what would make these subset of neurons fire. And to my surprise and their surprise, the neurons are very specific, meaning they only fired when certain conditions, certain specific conditions were met. For example, the neurons wouldn't fire if a mechanical grabber tool was used to handle the banana. They would only fire when a hand with an opposable thumb was used to grab or handle the banana. Researchers then turn their sights to humans. But humans are a little bit more outspoken in their thoughts and opinions surrounding inserting intrusive electrodes directly into the brain. So the way researchers overcame this was hooking humans up to EEGs, which are electrical encephalograms, which I just now realized that you also probably don't know what that is. So an electrical encephalogram is a, a way to monitor brain activity by just placing um, electrodes on the outside of the scalp. So just there's a little paste that goes on and then they stick you know, a little metal or silicone disc connected to wires that go to a machine that read for electrical impulses. And I actually just had one of these done a few months ago um, in, a in a sleep study looking to see if I was narcoleptic. It ended up being negative, but I definitely am on the lower end of... I'm closer to narcolepsy than not being narcoleptic, if that makes sense. But it's all within the normal range of human behavior. Anyways, once they had humans hooked up to these EEGs, they had them conduct similar experiments that they did with the monkeys, and they found that, you know, humans have a lot of activity watching or observing somebody else do something in the motor and premotor cortex, which deals with movement and your ability to manipulate the environment, as well as a space in the brain between the parietal and temporal lobe, which is a key player in spatial reasoning, attention, and vision processing. Okay, that's like information overload. What's the point? What does this mean? Why, why are you so excited to tell um, us about this? Well, neuroscientists like Ramachandran used mirror neurons in his TED Talk to make a very solid conclusion about evolution. See, for much of our history, we were very simple. And then, all of a sudden, there was a big boom in knowledge and the creation of things. What led to that? 
well, many, 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 many things led to the boom and the fruits of technology that we are able to enjoy today. But back in the Stone Age, maybe humans evolved faster and better than the rest of animals here on Earth because we are able to learn and process by simply watching. Instead of me having to make the same mistake as my parent touching a fire, as a child, I see my parent touch a fire and I know now not to touch the fire. It's a pretty simple concept, but knowing the process behind that is very crucial to understanding yourself. The next thing is some scientists say, and there's a little bit of controversy around this, but that mirror neurons are directly linked to empathy. Because if you think of what empathy is, it's the ability to feel from just observing another person. When somebody is hurting, you feel that hurt, not because you've went through that, or not because you are suffering the same as them, but you feel what they are going through. And empathy is important in all facets of life. It's one of the hallmarks of communication, true communication. And so if nothing else, mirror neurons show that we truly do learn from other people's experiences and we don't have to go through the pains of making the same mistakes as our ancestors. There are studies that show people affected with autism also have a deficit in mirror neurons. And I don't want to focus on that because this is where I'm taking a step into the frontiers of science, right? This isn't, to my knowledge, studied. And it's more so my opinion than fact. But are we creating a world that doesn't stimulate these mirror neurons? And as a result, are we finding ourselves more isolated, more lost, and more confused as ever? Are we repeating the mistakes of the past because we are creating a world and society that is handicapping our ability to learn from the past? I think about phones. I think about how much I stay inside. I think about how much time I've played video games, how many hours I've watched movies or TV, how many hours I spend on, my, on social media and the internet, just reading and browsing. And I'm not saying all that stuff is bad, right? Like, I've learned, I've certainly learned from shows like Avatar The Last Airbender or games like The Last of Us 2. They have taught me lessons in life. I'm just saying, what is the opportunity cost of experiencing those things in a two-dimensional format on a screen rather than physically seeing them in 3D space from another actual human. Like I said, I, it's not studied to my knowledge, but I would like the studies to start happening. And maybe once I take my steps into the research field of psychology, maybe that is something I'll look into because it really is very fascinating to me. Personally, the more I learn, the more I realize that it's up to me to create the environment 
I want to live in. And my ideal environment is going to look different than yours. That's okay. I'm just saying I want to be in spaces where I can learn from others and where we foster a community instead of tearing each other down and clinging to a lone wolf, gotta make it to the top at all costs mindset. And that's what this podcast is too. It's me starting to create that community. I'm doing this to create a community across the globe of people who are over the illusion of separation. Shout out to Guru Patik. I'm trying to create a community of people dedicated to bringing peace to the world. And not to sound like Ultron, but I'm not talking about peace in the future for our great, 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 great grandkids. I'm talking about peace in our time. So I'll leave you with that, my friends. Just remember, continue to create the day that you want.